I just thought I'd start with, uh, with a little bit of humor uh, in, a, in a talk that has the potential to become incredibly heavy. Uh, <coughs> so uh, I just thought a little bit, just a, a brief explanation because a lot of the nine o'clock has struggled with this, so I had to explain it. In the old days, or in the old parlance, as someone who's a complete non-techy person, uh, you had packages, okay? You have different packages, software packages. People understand about software packages? Different types of software packages that you, you got, that, and they had numbers on them, okay? So that's important as a, as a sort of basis. Context, which is a big word today, context to what I'm going to talk about now. So this is a, a, a not a genuine letter, but a letter that uh, could have been sent to uh, one of those uh, tech support people, okay? Uh, and, and, and this is this, this is a letter. Dear tech support, last year I upgraded from boyfriend 5.0 to husband 1.0, and I noticed a distinct slowdown in the overall system performance, particularly in the flower and jewelry applications. In addition, husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs, such as romance 9.5, and personal attention 6.5, and then installed undesirable programs such as Internet 5.0, TV News 3.0, and Football Match 4.1. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs. Please note that I have tried running Nagging 5.3 to fix these problems, but to no avail. What can I do? Signed, Desperate Woman. To which the reply is, dear desperate woman, first, keep in mind, Boyfriend 5.0 is an entertainment package, while Husband 1.0 is an older, more reliable operating system. I do feel for Ellie at the back trying to translate this into Farsi. It's hard enough in English. Try to download Tier 6.2. If this application works as designed, Husband 1.0 should then automatically run the applications. <laughs> Jewelry 2.0 and Flowers 3.5. However, remember, overuse of the above applications can cause a default to silence 2.5. Whatever you do, do not, under any circumstances, install Mother-in-Law 1.0. <laughs> It runs a virus in the background that will eventually seize control of all your system resources. In summary, you might consider buying additional software to improve memory and performance. Uh, you can use that at your discretion in the future. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, it's interesting, really. You know, was, there was a picture I would have put up of a cartoon I came across, but I couldn't manage to get it sorted, which was actually a picture of a, a World War II bunker, and there's a, a minister inside it, and his wife's calling out to him, saying, why are you, doing, why are you in that bunker? He said, because I'm preaching on 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. <laughs> because the reality is that we're preaching on a passage where, as we went through it, I could feel the little wincing going on in our 21st century cultural mindsets. Certain words were a bit of a trigger, weren't they? And so that's what we're going to explore in this beautiful, beautiful letter we've been looking at. So before that, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, help, Lord. But thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word is true and your word is real for life as we know it. And I pray, Lord, in this uh, short time we have together, Lord, as we explore this passage, that you would take it and its meaning and help it and help us to apply, be applied to our lives. In your name. Amen. Amen. 
How many did the Bible course last year? Uh, probably quite a lot didn't because we've got so many new folk. So not very many here. But the Bible course is a brilliant course. I do recommend it. Uh, we did it last year as a church. And probably about 60% of the church did it. And it was looking at the overview of the Bible. Really excellent. But one of the things, if you remember, statement uh, within it was quite an interesting quote. was this. Remember, taking the text out of context means you're left with a con. I say that again. Remember, taking the text out of context means you're left with a con. Because we need to come to context when we look at this passage. Peter is writing into an environment which is very different to ours here. In the midst of the Roman Empire, the roots of what was here was two words, power and privilege. Power and privilege. Everything, the hierarchy, the way it was wired up was about power and privilege. And that was the the, the full environment that was there to maintain. And this comes as a bunch of people start following Jesus, converted to a faith where... Was com- it was completely countercultural to Roman values. So opposite to power and privilege, what you have is rooted in Jesus, sacrifice and love. So you have the two things immediately at uh, loggerheads with one another. And here we've got Christians scattered, as we read about earlier in 1 Peter 1, scattered to all parts of the empire, vulnerable in different ways. And they're asking the questions. They come to churches, they gather, or they, they didn't have church as such. They gathered in their homes as they, 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 they met together, and they'd be asking the question, we've become to know this Jesus, who's all about sacrifice and love, and yet I'm in these situations with, as we heard last week in chapter 2, under governing authorities that I don't know whether I can follow. Or uh, I'm a slave with a master. How am I supposed to be in relation to them? And here today about what does it mean in the home? And of course what we're realizing here is that Peter, the whole way through, is trying to help them, to encourage them in their context to work out what does it mean to be Christians in a world that is completely opposite to the values and the things that we know for ourselves. And we see it right back in 1 Peter 2 verse 12, if you go back to that. And it says these things, that we are called, in fact we are called this today, but in that context particularly, live such good lives among the pagans, the place you're in, that though they accuse you all of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And he works it out there, as I said, with governing authorities, submitting to them and to slaves and masters and working out. And this week, we're looking at the issues of relationships, but particularly marriage between a wife and a husband. Now look, some preliminaries before we kick into things. Um, Firstly, I do believe it's got a number of things that this passage really offers to us and we need to recognize before we might switch off. For those, for example, who are married, of which there may be many people here, married to someone who is not yet a Christ follower, I believe this gives us hope. I really believe this passage gives hope and gives direction. Secondly, if you're single and that at some point in the future it might be right that you marry and that's not for all, you need to be, firstly, I just want to say, and there's a whole talk I could do around this, you need to be spiritually matched. It's based on the understanding here of someone who's become a Christian uh, but is in a marriage already and maybe with someone who's not yet a Christian. But I want to say in 1 Corinthians 6, he says very clearly about not being yoked to unbelievers and there is a reason for that. And there's a whole other talk that could be talked about. If you're single, if you're widowed, if you're divorced, you might say it's not for you. There are lots of principles that we're going to draw out during this. But I want to say as well, if you are in an abusive and dangerous relationship, you need to find a safe place. You really do. 
And it's important you hear that. This is not a cover-all for anything that would be abusive or dangerous. You need to get help and support. And I want to say as well that while six verses, you probably noticed, were referencing to wives and one to husbands, I did go to verse 7 first, all right? So there's lots of things in verse 7 I'm going to draw out as a husband that I myself, in integrity, have got to grapple with myself and work through in my own marriage relationship. So back to context. The call is to live honourable lives, to actually live lives of, um, in the midst of something completely countercultural. And I want to say what we need to park as well when we approach this are romantic notions of marriage that we have in relation to this passage. Somehow that, you know, it's, you know, the usual levels of how we meet and how you get together and how you marry. You've got to realize in first century culture, it was nothing like that. Broadly, it was an arrangement or it would be a, a dynamics of family that things come together. And broadly as well within that, there was no protection. In Hebrew and in Greek and Roman law, they were largely, women were largely regarded as possessions. It's important to see that context because it's really important in terms of what Peter is saying to it and actually how revolutionary, countercultural he is beginning to be here. But take this lovely character here, for example. These are some of the attitudes that were buzzing around the place and if you like, we're keeping this power dynamic together. Um, this is what Aristotle, a gorgeous looking guy up there, says. The female sex is bold, positively active for something which it desires, liable to change its mind due to poor reasoning powers and of naturally weak constitution. Plutarch, another gorgeous looking guy, in a book called Household Chores, said this, A wife ought not to make friends of her own, but enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. The gods are first and and most important friends. You see, most, as I say, marriages were based around that. And so into this context... You've got a wife who's met Jesus, who's come into the realization they are infinitely valuable to God. Most glorious reality is that when we come to know Jesus, we recognize that we are valued and we're loved. Contrary to the culture that puts us in a box and states things, and the culture that was then in the first century, but is true now to be fair, we need to remind ourselves, women and men are loved by God equally. That is the context of the word. And you know what we need to do? When we read this passage, we have to read scripture with scripture. It's one thing I've learned over the years. That sometimes we can pull a verse or we pull something out of context. It has to be scripture balanced with scripture. And we have to look at the whole measure of scripture in how we approach anything, particular ethical things as well. (coughs) And so here we've got a situation where the wife is coming along to church or meeting up in church, maybe secretly in a house. She's saying, I've come to know Jesus. I've become a person of infinite value. I've discovered brothers and sisters. I'm loved. I'm part of a family. But you can also imagine the husband who might not yet be a believer saying, what has happened to my wife? She's found a boyfriend and his name is Jesus. I don't say that irreverently, but the reality is that's what he'd be thinking. I've lost to this person. She keeps going on about as Jesus. And that's what's happened. And she had no legal protection. She could be abused, she could be beaten, whatever. You see, the strategy, what was hidden behind those things, was uh, the reality, you see, that largely she was, as a possession. They were arranged. The wife's primary responsibility was to produce male babies. Most husbands would be promiscuous. And wives were to stay chaste and have babies, particularly male babies. 
So what is Peter's strategy? Verse 1, we look at that. Live a life of such beauty that they will be won over. Interesting enough, in the same way. Now in the same way, or as other versions say, likewise. What he's saying is coming out of the end of chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus himself who effectively submitted himself to the will of the Father to give his life and to die. In verse 24, we see there in verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So he's talking out of a chapter where it's talked about submission to governing authorities, to uh, slaves with masters, and here it talks about submission. The first trigger word, no doubt, for each one of us, 21st century mind, submission. I can't believe he's using that word, submission. What is he meaning here? Is he meaning some sort of doormat? Is that what he's uh, arguing for? Is that what he's saying? Now, first thing I want to say, actually, again, in that context, the most amazing thing what Peter is saying here is something that would have been incredibly countercultural just in the beginning. I know it's hard to imagine it when you read it, but he's talking about choice. He's saying here that they have real choices, that they can choose Christ. They can choose to live their lives. They don't need to give in to fear, verse 6. They don't need to be bullied and, uh, by others. They're given choice. That would have been outrageous to be given a choice. If you like, it's first century women's liberation. But just to unpack that, submission, what it doesn't mean, I believe here, it's first, it doesn't say anything. It says wives, it doesn't say wives are inferior to their husbands. You see, Jesus submitted himself to God and yet claimed, I and the Father are one, which implies equality. In fact, later on in uh, verse 7, it talks about wives and husbands actually being co-heirs together, working together. And interesting enough, it says Christian wives here submitting to, not to, it doesn't mean that submitting to all men, it says to your husband. So again, there's that implication there. It's not about being submitted to all men, which is what tends to be, again, supplanted from this. It's in relation to your husband. We'll explore that a bit more. As well, it's not here talking about unquestioning obedience. It's really important to hear this. Ultimately, only Jesus deserves our unquestioning obedience. So if there's any abusive behavior or an insistence to go against God's purposes, Peter very clearly states that ultimately we're submitted to the will of Jesus above even our husband. But submission is coming into that. Firstly, to God himself. It talks about reverence, verse 2. And then hope in God, verse 5. And you see, again, this is where we need to balance Scripture with Scripture. Because if we read this out of context, we need to realize another apostle of the time. So it would have been united teaching across that time, Paul himself in Ephesians. When he talks about the relationship between husband and wife, he begins right at the beginning with submit yourself to Christ. Uh, sorry, submit yourselves. To, to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the starting place, that we are equal together before God in Christ. And that from that, it talks about wives submitting to their husbands in verse uh, 22 of Ephesians 5. Verse 25, then it flips it around. For husbands, you've got to love your wives like Christ loved the church. In fact, you've got to be prepared to sacrifice your life and give your life fully to your wife. Challenge on an equal basis there. So husbands are, are to provide loving leadership 
following the example of Christ, and wives are to follow that, that, that leadership in one sense. But wives and husbands are equal before God, although they are not identical. And I think that's where we, in some ways, move into a really interesting cultural challenge. Because I was sharing this earlier, actually. We were just talking about it after the service. And I think there'll probably be lots of chat. And I hope in our groups there's lots of chat around this. But it's interesting because I do think the Bible's narrative is that we are equal but different. But we're in a culture at the moment which almost says that to be equal is that we have to be exactly the same. And it seems a bit of a nuance, but it's a challenge. And I, I put that in there because there are glorious differences that there are between one another. But there are things that we are equal and totally right about. So moving on, verse 3 and 4. So romping through this a bit, aware of stuff, but keep with me. Because then we move on to these passages. We'll probably set up another little trigger word. It starts going on about looks, godly attractiveness. And people lump on that one saying, so you, you know, I've got to do myself up to be loved. Is that what it's saying there? Now you see, what we have to realize again, the context is, Roman, I, I found myself bizarrely for half an hour on Google Images looking at Romans women's hairstyles. Okay, I just admit this, okay. Now, if you want to get into this, all right, there's quite, there's quite, a, quite a bank of women's hairstyles. So if you want to find a fresh hairstyle, go on Google and you can put in Roman women and particularly Roman wives' hairstyles, okay. This is a selection here that might help some of you, okay. My wife had her hair done the other day. Looks amazing. <laughs> there you are. So uh, these are some options for you ladies if you want to go with it. They spend a lot of time. So Peter in some ways is saying, you know what? You could spend a lot of time in your outward adornment and how you look. And then he looks at something that I've got to say is relevant to both men and women. I tell you, my sons, I've got three sons. I can't believe how much time they spend on themselves when they go into the bathroom. I mean, when I was a kid, it was just in and out. Do you remember that, some of you older boys? Nowadays, they spend hours, literally. And they, you know, they say, what do you want for Christmas? I want a particular type of gel for their hair. What is happening? But the amount of time, the dangers we can give to how we look, and even in relationships, we can do that and see that as what it's about. What he's calling all of us to do, but particularly in this case, he said... Don't, there's nothing wrong in those things in themselves. There's nothing wrong with designer labels, expensive clothing. It's not saying that. There's nothing sinful about them as such. But what he's saying is we can spend so much time on the externals but forget what the crucial thing is about the inside. In a sense, what he's calling them to is saying, what are you doing in the secret place? And that's a call to all of us, isn't it? Men and women. What is God doing in the secret place? He's saying, if you are right in the secret places, if you are investing in your time in the secret place, just as it says in Samuel, God's not interested in the outward, he's interested in the heart. As someone said, a good marriage is more than being with the right person, but being the right person. And Peter seems to be saying here, inner beauty is an incredibly powerful thing. And he's saying, he said, to those I suppose specifically in that situation to those who've got people who are not yet Christians and there may be some people here who've got not yet Christian husbands actually to work on the inner beauty within you is incredibly wonderful and incredibly sexy. I may use that church in church. That's what he's saying there. He's saying you're called to love them have a gentle spirit but actually that is a precious 
precious inward thing to be pursuing. So let's look at um, the husbands. Let's balance it out with the husbands here. Verse 7. And note again, it says, in the same way. So it says, in the same way, verse 7, be considerate. To submit ourselves to Jesus and all that he went through, but to be considerate. And again, incredibly countercultural. To any of the husbands who were there, what? I've got to be considerate to my wife? You've got to realize when Peter was speaking to that, he was saying, that wasn't in their worldview. Women were not seen in that way. But even in that, this powerful verse here, he's saying, You've got to be considerate. You've got to honor your wife. You've got to treat them not as objects or possessions, but as people created by God. And I think there's an incredible rejecting of a balance. If I speak to some of, of you and I who are husbands, we have an incredible propensity, I know for myself, to use other things as an excuse not to honor our wives, not to uh, prefer them, not to um, uh, walk in a, in, in a way that is truly uplifting of them. You know, we use things to get off the hook. We think work can do that. We think our hobby can do that. We think a whole load of other things. And Peter's speaking of that, saying, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. In a sense, he's saying, you can talk the talk, but are you walking the walk? And we are called to serve our spouses, to meet their needs, to listen to them. All the things that I'm rubbish at so often. And the things that I know I need to work on. When I read that verse again and again and again and again and again last night, thinking, Mary, I'm sorry. I need to learn to be so much more considerate. I need to so much more seeking to respect you and bring out those things. Because, of course, in that respect, there's something really precious there. Often used in weddings, that little quote that says, a really good marriage can often be buried by a lot of little digs. And the fact is, is that so often the little digs, the little moments, the little things, the small things, as Peter's talking about the thing, are incredibly powerful. The inner things, the things that we're doing, are the precious things that really make a difference into our relationships. Now here, another trigger word that might go off here is it says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. The weaker partner. Oh, we wince. You see, clearly it's not to do with the spiritual side of life because he goes on to say, he says, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, that actually we are co-heirs of what God has given to us. But it's interesting, I mean, you know, uh, if you watched, I watched some of the highlights of the rugby yesterday and the girl Lydia Thompson, as she hit, took out this kiwi on the corner, I tell you, and the world welterweight boxing champion last night. You know, it's great. They're expressing themselves physically. Women are. And it's good. It's an important. But the reality is, I think he's speaking into a very simple thing. That physically, biologically, we are different. We are different. So when it's talking about weakness now, I don't think it's about emotional. I don't think it's about those things. I think it's though physically true. And speaking very much into the reality that women were abused. And that we need to be careful, those of us that are men, not to misuse our physical strength, to be violent at home, abuse our wives sexually, whatever. And his call is to, even to non-Christian husbands here, but also to Christian husbands, to serve, respect, honor, to prefer. It says in Ephesians, present your wives pure and spotless. 
Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to hold in our minds, to present them with purity and spotless? But of course, they say this beautiful thing is we are joint heirs together, equal but different. Wonderful thing that was so incredible on Thursday, just like coming to land with a couple of points, um, is uh, at Alpha on Thursday, someone who uh, comes from a different faith background. I'll just say that. And they said this to James and myself. They said, the thing I love about the Bible and I love about Christianity is that women are recognized and women are honored. And they said that is completely and utterly drawn me to faith in Christ. And we need to realize that that's the amazing thing that the Bible brings. And here, if you like, there's a reminder that men and women together is something powerful. It's like we've got a joint bank account with equal access to God. We share equally the gift received from God, he says there, of the gracious gift of life. And an interesting little challenge in the back there to the guys. He says here, make sure you do this and you enable that to happen, otherwise your prayers will not be heard. He says here, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If you want a great prayer life, men, you need to honor your wives if you're married. We need to be people of honor, people who enable that to happen. And amazing things are coming. So he sets out a vision. I share it before you. I give it to you here. We need to think in context. But what does it mean to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't operate in the same way, with the same values? And three things, really, I just wanted to draw from this before we, we go on. I think there are three calls on our lives that he's putting here. Firstly, the call to surrender. Ultimately, Jesus gave his life that we might live. I've mentioned that in 1 Peter 2.24. And so ultimately, the first place we need to come is on our knees and say, Lord, I, I surrender it all. I surrender it completely to you. I give my life to you. I want to be submitted to your purposes. I want to lay down my rights. Whether I'm single, married, divorced, widow, whatever, I can lay down my rights. Call to surrender. Secondly, a call to honor What does it mean to truly love and honor one another? To prefer one another? Not just in marriage, but actually all over the place. There's something really powerful about honoring (coughs) and loving and encouraging one another. little incident, we had a a play here on Friday, and one of the various technical issues and things went a bit wrong. It was not their their best performance, I think. Um, But afterwards, one of the... the, um, Have they won? Oh, no. Um, (laughs) <laughs> the um, one of the things that um, one of the things that uh, happened was that I was just chatting with one one of the one of the actors, and I was saying to him, I was just saying, you know what, you are a really really good actor. I just I loved it. It was really you're really funny. At one point, he was pretending to be a vicar if you were there, and there were his accents and other things. Just there was something about him which, which to me cut him as a cut above the rest. Yeah, they're all nodding your head, aren't you? And I said to him afterwards, just on his own, I said, you know, you're really good. And I tell you, just seeing his whole body was like lifted. Wow, that's what you thought? Because it was pretty rubbish, some of the bits of it. Things went wrong, all this stuff. And you know what? There's something powerful about honoring, isn't there? Whether it's in a marriage, a workplace, when it's on the street, just something beautiful about doing that. We are called to walk as people of honor and thirdly, people of unity. 
We are a royal priesthood, it says back in, uh, in 1 Peter 2. In the spiritual realm, we've got to realize, God does not distinguish between men and women. In creation, we're equal but different. In Christ, we are spiritually on the same, on a par. Isn't it amazing? The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, it says, I, I come on all people. He comes on all people, men and women. Again, a gloriously countercultural thing. There's no hierarchy. We're all in this together. So we seek to walk in that way, don't we, church? We seek to walk in that honoring way in all relationships. Whatever our background, whatever our gender, whatever our ethnicity, whatever our sexual preferences, whatever it might be, we seek to love people and walk with people. Yes, there's the challenge of working it out. Working it out in line with what God's best would be. But ultimately, that's what we're called to do, aren't we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you. And, you know, we thank you for the difficult passages, the challenging passages, because it throws us on you. And Lord, we give to you our lives. We give to you our relationships, Lord. And Father, we pray that we would be seeking to be those things it talks about in here. Living lives uh, uh, where we are winning over people. Uh, even without words. We're walking in purity and reverence. I pray particularly for marriages today. I pray for those who have not yet Christian husbands. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them or vice versa. I pray, Lord, for protection. I pray, Lord, for growth and deepening of intimacy in those marriages. And I just pray your blessing now. In Jesus' name. Amen.